last week, this is a series that uh, a couple of years ago I had talked to the church, and uh, it is, for me, a very practical tool that I use uh, during my time in prayer. And this is a series that it looks at a pattern that was set out for us in the Old Testament that we can apply to our own prayer life today. And for me, I've just found this to be so fruitful for my prayer life, so helpful for my prayer life. And we're going to dive into this tonight. I would kind of just set the, set the tone for it last week. Really, uh, this uh, today is when we're uh, really going to dive in. So let's go to Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And uh, I'm going to try to cover a lot tonight, so I may be flying through some of these scriptures. You can see, uh, see them up here on the screen if you're not able to get there uh, in your own Bible. But Exodus chapter 25 Beginning in verse 8 and 9, it says, let them make me a sanctuary. This is God speaking to Moses. This isn't Moses asking for a sanctuary to be built. This is God himself instructing Moses, saying, let them, the people of Israel, make me, God, a sanctuary that I, so that God himself may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. See, this tabernacle that God commanded Moses to build in the wilderness shortly after they were led out of Egypt, it's, it, it was a perfect type and figure of, of salvation. It's a perfect type and figure of being uh, of what it takes to get into the presence of God, that God himself, he is our eternal dwelling place. He is the almighty God. Jesus Christ, he was God incarnate. This is a, this, this um, illustration of the tabernacle, the pattern of the tabernacle is a way that we can come into relationship with God. It's a way that we can get into his presence. To Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14, it says that Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus accomplished for us. He went through the same pattern that we're going to begin to go through here tonight, this pattern of the tabernacle, that he offered himself as the sacrifice. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, he offered himself without spot to God, to purge your conscience from dead words, to serve the living God. So he himself became the ultimate sacrifice that would take away our sins. He did, and he accomplished the, the greatest thing that could be done by giving himself as a perfect sacrifice, that thing that could not be accomplished by a, an animal that would be sacrificed, 
Jesus laid himself down on the cross, and he became the sacrifice for our sins. But we see, we see it fit into the same pattern, even how Jesus laid himself down, it fit into the same pattern that was of the pattern of the tabernacle and how they worshiped God in the Old Testament. You see, the tabernacle in Scripture, it was called several different, different things. We see the tabernacle in the wilderness. We see it at times called the tabernacle of testimony or the tabernacle of the congregation. And this is, I believe, a key uh, in, in if you want to enter into the presence of God, then following the same pattern that was laid out for us in the Old Testament through this tabernacle, it is a, a beautiful way to be able to enter into the presence of God, to be able to approach God in prayer in a way that it gets His attention. And so, tonight I, I want us to begin with the first article of furniture that one would approach when you come into the courtyard of the tabernacle, and that is the brazen altar. It's the place of sacrifice. We have a couple of, uh, of illustrations here that I could throw up. In case you're not familiar with the tabernacle itself, I want to uh, show just a couple things here. This is an outline of what the tabernacle looked like. If you see that outer box or the one with all the, the circles there around it, that uh, is, is showing what was, the, uh, was really a wall, um, a wall of, of fabric that was constructed around that. And that was inside of that would be called the outer court. So when you had the people of Israel as they were traveling through the wilderness, they would set up camp all around this area. They would, this was at the center of where they were at. And, and once they would enter in, you see far to the right here, that gate. They would enter in through that gate. And when you came into that, you were in the outer court of the tabernacle. It's open air. But in, in that open air, the first thing that you would approach was the altar or the brazen altar. And we're going to focus on that tonight. And then we're also going to look at the labor, the brazen labor, this, these two uh, articles of furniture were made out of brass. And so these were the only two things that were out here in the outer court, in that uh, wide open space. And then you would enter into uh, what you see, that little rectangle there. That is the actual tabernacle itself, the actual tent, the place where they would go. And uh, only the priest would be able to enter into there. And he would offer up, uh, or he would do different things in order to uh, worship God inside of that place. Uh, if you go to the next one, we can see a little different illustration of this. You can see uh, what this looks like here. Uh, you see the outer tabernacle, or the outer court uh, there. We have all the animals that are there. Um, you see that's where the fire is at. That's that brazen altar. You see the next thing, the brazen labor, and how that actual tabernacle or the tent itself was in there. And I think we, we have one more picture. Yes. So this is kind of focusing in on just the tabernacle itself. As you would see, the um, it would, coming in from the east, uh, that's where you would enter in uh, to the gates, or enter into the actual tabernacle itself. Once you're inside of, um, of that, you, you come to the altar of burnt offering, and then you would come to the brazen labor. And then inside of that, um, again, we see all of those things laid out. But it was always from the east uh, facing 
the west that you would be uh, that you would be going. And so that was always the direction that this was uh, set up uh, from the east to the west. And so I want to uh, dive into this just a little bit. Hopefully that gives a little bit of a, a picture for you in case you're not familiar with this tabernacle. But I want to tonight just focus in on this first article of furniture. The first thing that you would come to. This is the first thing inside the courtyard of the tabernacle. It was the brazen altar. This is a place of sacrifice. Now this is, it's located, again, it's located in the outer court. This was a place that it's illuminated by natural light. Just the sun is, is lighting this uh, the, the, during the daytime. The moon is lighting it by night. It was, it was a natural open setting. And in that setting, the first piece of, piece of furniture that you would come to as you came in is this brazen altar, this altar of sacrifice. And, and we see sacrifice. The first thing that you would come to is the sacrifice. It speaks to us of how Jesus Christ would lay himself down on the cross and be, our, be the sacrifice for our sins. He was, the sacri- he was the sacrifice as well as the offerer of the sacrifice. He was the one who laid himself down. He was the one who brought himself to that place of sacrifice. So he was both the the one who brought the offering and he himself was the offering. He wasn't bringing some other animal up there. But Jesus Christ officiated the sacrifice and he became the sacrifice. As we're looking at the Old Testament, what actually was there, and then the New Testament representation of what Jesus did. But God, he looked at Moses and he said to Moses, Moses, we are building this tabernacle, and I'm going to give you some very important instructions. I want every piece, every cord, every pole, every part of that tent to be built by the measurements that I give you. You As you read through the book of of, um, uh, Exodus and Leviticus, and you begin to see these the, the meticulous nature in which God was telling them to build this tabernacle. He didn't just say, just go and build some tent any way that you want. Just go and, and build a house for me, a house of worship, in whatever way that you want. No, God, he took time to say, I want, I want you to have this many stakes. I want you to have this, uh, I, want, I want it to be exactly this width and this height. And every cord, every pole, everything that you do, I'm going to give you the measurements of this. He said, for the construction of the brazen altar, we're going to get there in Exodus chapter 27, verse 1. Exodus 27, verse 1. In that, in that verse, the, uh, he tells us that the altar was to be five cubits high. He says, first of all, the altar shall be made an altar of, sh- of shinum wood, five cubits long. Five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square. In other words, this should be uh, a, a cube here. And the height thereof shall be, shall be three cubits. It was to be built so that it could not, or so that it could be in the reach of all of us. It matched the height of the Ark of the Covenant, which rested in the most holy place. That was, out of anything that was there, that was the most holy thing that they had was the Ark of the Covenant. That, and the, the height of the brazen altar was the same height as the Ark of the Covenant. 
and uh, when you would put that mercy seat on top of it. And, and I believe that tells us something. It tells us that, that the glory of God will be equal to the sacrifice that you put forth on the altar. Now, that's where you had the glory of God. It was where it was sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was equal with the height of this, of this brazen altar. And, and I, there, I believe there's, there's something that, that's speaking to us. Because this, this, this is the largest, by far, the largest article of furniture was this first one that you came to. It, all of the other articles of furniture could fit inside of the brazen altar. All of these other ones could fit inside of this. And I want to just ask this question tonight. How much of the presence of the Lord do you want in your life? How much of God's glory do you want to experience? Because too many of us want great power without enough time spent at the altar. We want, we want to experience God's presence in an, in an incredible way. We, we want to come in and say, say, God, I want you to show up. I want you to, to meet me there. And, and yet we're not willing to spend the time at the altar in a place of repentance, in a place of sacrifice, in a place where we're searching down inside of us and saying, uh, saying there's, there's stuff in me that I need to get out, that I need to remove from my life. It's where, it's, it's here at the altar where you let go of your will and you say, God, I want to seek your will for me. This is where you seek to embrace everything that the Lord wants to do in your life. It's here where you surrender your will for God's will. It's here where you say, God, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want. God, whatever your purpose is for me, that's the purpose that I want to pursue. So when you look at this old tabernacle and you see that brazen altar, you realize that it was from that fire, the fire of that brazen altar, when they would light that sacrifice or light the wood there, it would, it would consume the sacrifice that was there. They would then take that fire and they would light a censer and they would take that into the holy place. And when they came to the altar of incense, we're not really going to get uh, get into that tonight, but there, that is situated inside of the, uh, of the tent itself. It was situated in the holy place. And they would bring that fire that was from the outside in this altar, in this brazen altar. And they would light the incense that was inside of there, the altar of incense. And from that, the fire would come. And it was from off of the fire of the brazen altar that, that they would go to that last piece of furniture before you entered into the holiest of holies. They would light that altar of incense there and it would give off this sweet-smelling savor in the holy place. So you have to understand that the brazen altar is where all of the light came from. This is where they would also take that fire and they would light the fire that was on the candlesticks. So all of, once you got inside the temple, or once you got inside the tabernacle, all of the light, the only way that you're able to see is because you took the fire that was from the outside and you brought it to the inside there where the, where the candlestick is at and where the altar of incense is at. And you... You, you brought that. So it's, it begins with sacrifice. 
It begins with the place of sacrifice before you can get into the place of ministry. This is where we're going to find some differentiation between the outside and the inside is where outside is focused on getting myself right before I can go in and I can minister. So you have to understand that this, this fire, everything inside starts on the outside. This is a place where you and I, where we become a living sacrifice. That's how it's stated in the New Testament. When Paul, he tells us that we should lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. That we should be wholly or completely submitted to God. This is where I submit my life and I keep that fire burning. This is the place where, where I come in, in the, the fire of intercession, that fire of revival. Uh, all of that, it first begins at the, at the place of the altar, the place of sacrifice. All of that begins with me coming to God and saying, God, I repent for who I am. God, I repent for the things that I've done. This determines the depth and the width of your worship for the rest of that tabernacle. This, de- this determines really the depth of your prayer that you're going to have. And, and what happens on this piece of furniture that, you're, uh, that, that we're focusing on right now, this is going to determine whether or not you get into that place where you are in God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, it it tells us a little bit about this fire. It says here that the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. God said, God said elsewhere, he said, beware of strange fire. In other words, don't, don't bring other fire into the tabernacle. Beware of strange fire. The, the sons of Aaron, they lost their lives because they attempted to offer fire before the Lord that was strange fire. They, they tried to bring some other source of fire in, and they, they ended up losing their lives because of that. That the only fire that was to be used was the fire that came from God. They weren't supposed to use just common fire. That's what Aaron's sons used, common fire. And God, he struck them down because they didn't take the fire that was from this brazen altar and bring that into the place of worship. But instead, they just tried to bring their own, just thinking it's not going to really matter. See, at the conclusion of the, the consecration, when they first built all of this, when they first built the tabernacle, they had the, uh, every piece of furniture that was there, and that, that they had this altar that was out there. In Leviticus 9.24, it tells us how this fire ever got there in the first place. It says that there came a fire out from before the Lord, and it consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and they fell on their faces. This wasn't some fire that they just got on their own. This wasn't some fire that, that Moses or Aaron or some high priest or some priest uh, just just brought from somewhere else and they lit the fire there. No. This fire came from heaven. The fire that lit that flame, that that lit that altar, it came down from heaven when they were first consecrating this temple and this tabernacle. And and it it became something that that God says, don't you ever let that fire go out. That fire came from heaven. 
You, you're going to move from, from place to place, but keep that fire burning. Don't let the fire go out. See, if you want a fire in your spirit that can really sustain you, something that can really change you, that you can, then, then you need to look only for the fire that comes from God. The fire of the Holy Ghost. The fire that comes from the, from the Spirit of God. Don't look for some strange fire out there. You, you, can have, you can have something that looks like it's going to sustain you or it's going to get you pumped up. It's going to get you through a situation. But really what's going to get you through a situation is God Almighty. The strength that comes from heaven. The fire that comes from heaven, that is what you need in your soul. That's the thing that's going to sustain you. That's the thing that is going to keep you. And I just wonder what would happen if we would truly seek God and say, God, I need you to light a fire inside of my soul. I need you. When, when you're feeling down and you're feeling like you don't have any strength to go on, just come to Him and say, God, I need you to light a fire in me and help me to get through this. God, that, that he, he will come and He will light the fire inside of you. He will relight a fire in you. If we could keep this fire burning, this fire burning on that altar, keep that wood burning and just make sure that it's stacked up high enough that's that that fire, it will never go out. No, it takes something to have a fire. That word altar, the word altar, it means a slaughter place or a place of sacrifice. See, the brazen altar is where they would put this wood up on top of this, this altar. And that was the place that they would then place the sacrifice of that dead animal on top of there, and they would offer it up in this altar. It was a bloody place. This was not something that was clean. In this picture here, it looks like some beautiful, clean thing, but it wasn't clean. It may have started out that way, but it was not a clean thing that you would approach. They would kill the animals. They would lay them up there on that altar. They would, there was, it was full of soot and, and and ashes and all kinds of just dirty stuff. And, and, and we see the same way that the cross, it was a gory, dirty, messy thing. It was a bloody place. The, the example that Christ showed us of what true sacrifice means. See, we, we don't do it once in a lifetime or once a month or once a week. This is something that truly we are asked to do every single day. He said, Jesus, when he talked about the cross, he says, I want you to take up your cross daily. Right? Ever heard that, that scripture? Take up your cross daily. Don't do this just every once in a while. Take up your cross. Become a living sacrifice. Crawl up upon the altar, of, of, of the, this brazen altar, every single day. Come to God every single day and say, God, I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness. I, I am a sinner who is, who at times I'm, I'm trying to just follow my own will and my own path. And I know that you have a better way for me. So get my stinking flesh out of the way so that I can follow after your will. That's what it means to crawl up on the altar every day and say, God, I, I can't trust myself, but I can trust you. Every day, God, it's not easy. It's not easy to crucify my flesh. 
It's not easy to become to, to get come to this place of the brazen altar. It's something that you struggle with, you wrestle with. But I promise you, the more time that you spend there, the greater experience you're going to have when you get into the presence of God. The greater experience you'll have when God shows himself and begins in, as you go deeper in prayer. And he, he says, he says, I'm going to minister to your needs and I'm going to allow you to be a minister to somebody else. But you start right here. You start at the altar. See, as long as you're alive, your flesh is going to draw you towards sin. You are strong enough to overcome the desire of your flesh as long as you are led by the Spirit. But if you do not let the Spirit lead you, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. And that is what the altar is all about. It's not just for the times when you stumble and fall because we ought to get to a place where we are not tripping up every single day or every single week. But rather the altar is all about keeping your fleshly desires upon the altar so that your spirit can lead you. It's not just about saying, God, I, I messed up again. God, I'm, I'm, here I am, and I've, I've, I've continued, to, continued in my sin over and over. I know that I was just here and praying and, and, and asking for your forgiveness, and I repented. No, this is saying, this is come to the place and saying, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and that in my sinful nature that I am drawn to sin. I am drawn to the worldly, uh, to, to satisfy my worldly lusts. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be led by your spirit. And so I'm going to put myself on the altar and say, God, lead me today. Help me to be an overcomer. Paul, he wrote to the Galatians, to the church in Galatia, Galatians 3.13. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written that cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. When Jesus went to the cross, he became a cursed man, a man who had no sin, a man who he had no guile within him. But when he hung on the cross, he became a cursed man because he took on our sin. And Paul, he made his position clear in Galatians 2.20. He says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life of which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he said, For I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That the only thing that I really want to know of among you is that Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want us to be focused on what Jesus did for us. And, and then one last scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he's saying, I want to, I want to make sure that I am bringing my, my flesh under subjection of God and putting myself as a live, or as it says, I guess I said one more scripture. Let's go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice. He's not asking us to lay down our life every day, but he is asking us to lay down our flesh at the altar 
and become a living sacrifice who belongs to Jesus Christ, who has crucified our flesh, dies daily at the altar of repentance. And this right here is what the altar of, uh, what the brazen altar is all about. So when I come and I, am, I, I approach God in prayer, the first thing that I do is I come to a place of repentance. I come in recognition that I am a sinful man and I have sinful lust that will draw me away from God. And, and I need to lay myself on that altar and say, God, lead me to you. God, if there's anything in me that needs to be purified out of me, burn it out. God, take it out. I don't want to, to satisfy the worldly lust. I don't want to satisfy those things that are in me. I want to lay myself down, and no matter how hard it is for me to give up my worldly desires, God, replace them. With yours, because I know that what you have planned for me is greater than anything that I have planned for myself. That's what it's all about when you come to a place of repentance and forgiveness on the altar, on this brazen altar. See, repentance and forgiveness, they need to take place. You ask for forgiveness at the altar, you determine in your mind that you're going to change your direction. Repentance is the action of turning back or turning around. True repentance is not a prayer. It's an action. It's not the words that you speak, but it's the action that you do. That's what repentance is all about. You can, you can involve prayer in that and, and declare unto God that I am sorry and I am, uh, I'm a sinful man, I'm going to change my ways. But it's not until you actually change your ways that you have truly repented. That's what the word is, is that's what that word repentance is all about, is the action of turning and changing. The action of repentance ought to happen immediately if you sin. Don't wait to change course. Don't wait until that next morning, to, until you get to this place of prayer and say, all right, now I'll change my ways. Now I'll, now I'll get it right. No, you ought to repent when you, uh, when you recognize that you have done something wrong. Change your ways. Get back into re right relationship with God. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Here we are. We cannot have a self-centered, flesh-pleasing focus. If you want to come to God in a place of prayer, and in this, as I said, I, I, I use this uh, in my own prayer life. It's not every single time that I pray that I use this tabernacle plan, this pattern of prayer. But when I, uh, when I have time that is set aside specifically for prayer, uh, I, I typically this is my go-to pattern for prayer uh, so that I can enter into a deep place with God. And I start right here at the altar, laying myself down and saying, God, I'm a sinful man. I need your help. And first, of, first and foremost, God, I need, uh, I need to uh, get my flesh out of the way so that I can be led by your spirit. So we can't be self-centered or self-pleasing. I want to go into this next, uh, this very next thing that is, uh, that you would come to as you come into this, uh, into the tabernacle. The Second piece of furniture here in the outer court is the brazen laver. So the brazen laver, it's a place of washing. Not only is it symbolic of the water baptism 
but it's also a picture of the pureness, the purity of God. The purity of God and how he will wash you white as snow. The purity of Jesus Christ even, when you look at him. This, this place of washing, this brazen labor, this was a place of sanctification. This is where the word of God begins to cleanse us. It's where God is preparing us for our priestly function. So there is no real priest, priestly duties that are happening. There's no ministering that is happening in the outer court. That's all going to happen in the inner court. But, but here, you're preparing for your priestly duties. I want to I just read this passage here that uh, explains the brazen labor. We get it in Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 17, going through 21. It says, The Lord, he spake unto Moses, saying, That thou shalt make also a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash with all, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. And when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Nor when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. See, God is serious about this. They need to wash your hands and your feet that you die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. So each priest was required to wash themselves before performing his ministry. Every priest who had, altar, or who had offered up a sacrifice upon the altar is required to wash his hands. And he's required to wash his feet. His hands represent his service. His feet represent the walk, his walk with God and the way that he conducts himself. The priests, they were demonstrating this devotion to God's service by washing themselves at the brazen labor. And now at this point, you're prepared to pray. Not only for yourself, but for others. So you've already spent this time in prayer of, of, of asking God to forgive you, telling, uh, just coming to God in a place of repentance. But now it's not only going to be about praying for yourself and your own needs, but now you're going to be able to pray for others. When you've reached or once you've finished up at the brazen labor, you are ready for ministry and to be able to accomplish what God really wants you, you to accomplish in prayer, which is to say, it's not all about me, right? Your prayer time should not all be focused about self. When my prayer time is all focused on, my, on me, then I'm not really doing everything that God wants me to do in my time of prayer. I'm not operating in the will of God. Uh, fully. That's not to say that you can't pray for your own needs or that you can't pray for yourself. But as a Christian, as God's hands and his feet, as the church, we are called to be ministers to others. Prayer, it changes not only our, us, 
but it has an effect. It could be somewhere halfway around the world that a prayer that you pray has an effect. But in order to pray an effective prayer, the first thing that we need to do is get ourselves right. And so that's why we first come in the outer court to the brazen altar, and then we come and we wash at the brazen labor. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, you to desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Would everybody in here say, I am a priest? You are a priest unto God in the New Testament. And as a priest, you are to represent men to God and God to men. That is our responsibility. You must let God build His character and His nature in you. I must allow God to build His character and His nature in me. And it doesn't matter how old I am in Christ or what I do inside the church. God has called every one of us to a place of prayer and a place of priesthood to operate for the benefit of others. And see, Jesus, he said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he says that men ought always to pray and not faint. He's saying, don't stop praying. Don't give up. Always be praying. Don't stop that time of prayer. See, prayer, it's not just a personal relationship with God. Prayer is a ministry. You can minister through prayer. There's prayer that is for the benefit of others. It's a ministry. And before you can minister to everyone else or to yourself under the Lord, first thing that you have to do is to come to the altar of repentance and then come and wash yourself, cleanse yourself, all that blood that you had on you from that sacrifice. Wash that off at the brazen altar, at the brazen labor. In this place of where the, the priest is preparing himself. Uh, he is getting ready, and I need to hurry through some of this. I'm going to skip over, skip down to the place of the brazen labor in our notes, if you're following along, of the brazen labor. This is located there in the outer court of the tabernacle. The dimensions of this, while we have the dimensions of everything else, that this one item, this one article of furniture, we don't know exactly what size it was. God, he left that out, but... And, and I think there is something that to be said about that, that the washing away, it knows no bounds. That God's cleansing, it will wash you completely clean. It will make you 
pure, no matter how dirty you are, no matter how messy you are at that place of sacrifice, no matter how much you, how much sin you brought to God, He can wash you thoroughly, completely. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's love has no bounds. God's cleansing has no bounds. But here again, it's a material. It's made of copper or brass. The purpose of this was a place of washing. The copper, it symbolized the judgment of God, but the water itself was symbolic of the cleansing power of the Word of God. I think it's interesting as we, as we continue to look in at the, uh, construction, the construction of this, uh, in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, it tells us that he made the labor of brass and the foot of it brass, and there were looking glasses of the women that were inside of it. So they took the mirrors, and they, the mirrors from the women, and as they're building this brazen labor, they put the mirrors of the women on the inside where the water would, would come, it would fill on top of them. And, you know, the water itself, it would be reflective. You could see your own reflection in the water, but this enhanced that even more. You could see your reflection. You could see a reflection of, of what you look like, and, and it was the mirrors of the women's, the, the women, the the same mirrors that they would use to get ready in the morning, make sure that they look good. This, the same mirrors that gave a reflection of themselves, he's saying, I want you to use them as this reflection so that you know whether or not you are clean and cleansed. And when you do that, you're seeing a, when the priest would do this, he would see, here I am, I'm ready to minister. And now I'm not just seeing a reflection of myself in a dirty manner, but I am seeing a reflection of what God, how God sees me. And this, this ought to happen in your place of prayer, that it's not about, oh, woe is me. Our prayer time should not all be about how messed up I am. I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm so sinful and carnal and no. When you've laid yourself down in that altar and you come up off of that, you see God, Christ in me. Christ in me. And I want to see his reflection in how he sees me. I want to see myself clean. I want to see myself made whiter than snow. I want to see myself cleansed. And this is what happens when you come to that brazen or to the brazen labor, is you see God. There you see yourself the way that God sees you clean. You see yourself, and we can even begin to get into the Word of God. And I'll, I'll do this in my time of prayer. I will open up the Word of God and allow the Word of God to, to minister to me in my time of prayer. That the Word of God itself can be a, a mirror unto you. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. So, we ought to... Be doers of the words. It says, don't deceive your own self, for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the law of, uh, the perfect law of liberty, and, uh, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The, the difference between getting to the labor of water 
and washing to, in the labor of water is that you have a choice. You want to be a doer of the word. You're either going to be just a hearer and change if something doesn't align, or you're going to be a doer and change completely what God is asking you to change. He said in verse 24, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So if you see something in you that isn't right, then wash yourself. Make sure that you get in alignment with what God is trying to do with you. This is all of this outer court, all of this, the, whether you're at the brazen altar or you're at the brazen labor, it's all about laying down your flesh, getting yourself right with God so that you can then continue to minister in a time of prayer. That's what's happening here in the outer court. John chapter 15, we're wrapping this up here quickly. John chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. You're clean. It's by the word of God, the word that I have spoken to you, that you have been made clean. Allow the word of God to cleanse you. Make it a habit to get into the word of God so that it can purify you, so that this could speak to you about the things that need to change so that it can get you in the right alignment with what God is trying to speak to you. I, I believe the Word of God is alive today. It's not dead. It's, it, Brother Stokely just spoke on the Word of God and the power of the Word of God and, and when what this Word can do for you. We all need to wash. We all need to clean ourselves. We all need to take a bath. We need to get ourselves ready to minister. But the, 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 what we're doing is we're making sure that we are doing it the way that the Word of God tells us to, the way it instructs us to, how it cleans us up. And so in my time of prayer, I'm praying, and I'm, I'll get out the Word, and I'll begin to pray the Word because it's, it's reflective about who I am, making sure that I, my, my life is in right alignment with where God wants me to be. So I just I want to finish on this tonight. That as long as you are in the outer court, the focus is on you. And when you approach the altar, you can't make your child get up on the altar and surrender their flesh to God. You can't make somebody else with the with the word of God, you know, do it do get to that uh brazen labor and and make sure that they're getting their own life right this time is meant to be focused on yourself it's meant to be focused inwardly and once you put on those priestly garments and you walk into the holy place the focus is going to shift it's at that point that you're going to begin to pray for others it's at that point that you're going to walk up to that table of showbread and you're going to to uh, begin to pray for those who are delivering the Word of God. You're going to begin to pray and, and, and pray for every missionary, pray for every Sunday school teacher, pray for every uh, every pastor and minister who is who's proclaiming the Word of God. You're going to begin to pray for others that they could do it clearly, that they could do it orderly. You're going to get to that that place of the uh, of the golden candlestick, the lampstand. And, and when you get there, that's that place where you are going to begin to pray for the lost. You're going to begin to pray for them and, and make sure that, uh, that, that God is, is uh, reaching and, and you're, you are 
being his hands and his feet. You're being a mouthpiece to him in that time of prayer. It's during that time when you're going to get to the brazen or to the altar of incense and you're going to begin to worship God, but it's going to be a pure worship because now you're not walking in all dirty and clean, or but you're walking in clean. And this is the place where you get to the abiding presence of God. So all of that, all of this ministry stuff that's going to happen, first, we need to focus on ourselves. As you're there in the outer court, and you come to that place of prayer, and you lay yourself on the altar, and spend as much time as is needed to get yourself right. Because God has a purpose and a plan set out for you. God has great things that He wants to do in your life. God, He wants to use you mightily. God wants your prayers to be effective prayers. God wants your prayers to unlock doors. God wants your prayers to, to help somebody else who's been struggling and, and not being, not, they haven't been able to, to break free from the bondage that they've been fighting. He wants your prayers to be able to break those chains that they have been, been fighting against. But in order for those prayers, for your prayers to be effective, you need to get yourself right first. And so let's do that. Let's commit ourselves to a place of laying ourselves on the altar and washing ourselves and, and looking at the reflection of who we are in Christ Jesus so that we can go in and we can effectively minister in our time of prayer. Let's, let's stand here tonight. I'm just going to close this, close this out just with hand, every hand lifted up all around this place. And we're just going to pray just this, this simple prayer here tonight. God, I pray that you would just help me. Lord, that when I approach you, God, that I wouldn't do it haphazardly. Uh, that when I come into a place of prayer, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it aimlessly. But rather, I would come with a purpose and a plan, Lord, to be able to effectively pray and, and be able to reach the throne of God. That I would be able to say, uh, to, to speak, God, whatever your will is for my life so that I can minister to the needs of others. But God, I pray that those of us who are here tonight, uh, that we wouldn't just bypass our own frailty and our own faults, God, that we have, and, and just, just begin to try to waltz into your presence as, as uh, Lord, the dirty sinners that we are. But God, that we would lay ourselves down on the altar of repentance. Lay ourselves down and say, God, get, remove anything from me that doesn't belong. God, take my, take my life in your hands, God, and begin to... to uh, to inspect me, God, and, and to take out anything that doesn't that, that shouldn't be there. Lord, help me to be an overcomer, God. Help me to be somebody that is, uh, that is pursuing what is right and righteous, God, in your sight. Lord, help us here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. So uh, glad to be here tonight, but I will see, or we will be right back here Saturday, 6 o'clock for a time of prayer.